Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind, the podcast devoted to fucking shit. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that at all. <laughs> I'm Michael, the stupid one, and Jacob's on the other side, the sick one. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, it's probably going to hit all of us eventually, but Jacob does have COVID. But he got a shot, so he's better off than people who probably don't. Most definitely, yes. Thank you, science. Yes. Uh, if I'm, once I'm eligible for my fourth shot, I'm getting it. Especially I, if it's resistant to the Omicron variant. I want to say this. Uh, if you still think that getting the shot means you won't get COVID, you're not paying attention. You're straight up just not listening. Uh, I don't get all preachy, but... Nobody ever fucking said you don't get COVID if you get the shot. You just survive it. <laughs> it's it's yeah, a booster to yeah, survive. Not to mention that your chances of getting it are very uh, a lot slimmer. And uh, same with transfer. Uh, same with the transferring it to someone else. Yeah, but I, so I get this argument. I literally got into an argument at work about this, and I just couldn't believe I'm still having this fucking argument after almost three years. I know it's like, oh god, get over yourself, pal. If you don't, if your source doesn't have a scientific background, shit the fuck out. All right, so uh, on to the good stuff. We got five movies from 1993. We are now officially into that year, and I want to apologize, everybody. Until I can afford a new phone, I'm doing. I built a speaker box. That's why it sounds weird because the headphone jack on my phone doesn't work, and the Bluetooth has a horrible delay, which caused issues last time. So I literally have him in a cookie box. That I cut open and I have facing towards the speaker, so that's why it sounds a little weird. Oh, okay. Sounds fine to me. I can hear you. Yeah. Well, it's just the way it comes out of the box. It's reverberating off of it. But, all right. So, the first film we're going to discuss from 1993 is Alive, a movie I had no interest in watching, even though people love it and critically acclaimed. My sister said it was absolutely fantastic. For some reason, I just wasn't in the mood. Now I am, and I understand why it's so beloved. Oh, absolutely. I mean what everybody had to go through it being based on a true story about a South American uh, rugby team crashing in the mountains the Andes no less and just being stuck out there for so long uh, oh god all the hardships everybody had to endure yeah the loss well, it's almost uh, like a horror movie because they're getting picked off you know just at random you know and you think this person's gonna lead and survive nope this one does it keeps switching it changes and I'm not going to tell you who lives, who dies, but there's a character that you were sold as the lead, and then it changes it, and then the person who you're like, wait, isn't this the most popular person? Wasn't he like the most famous actor at the time? And then all of a sudden he doesn't, he's like out of it for a big chunk of the movie, and then all of a sudden he takes over the, the movie. Oh yeah, no, of course, yes. Hmm. Yeah, it did throw me off, and I couldn't help but feel for, again, what they were going through. Again, the slightest thing would take them out like where it could be infection from getting scraped up from the crash or having little oh god I don't I think there was one moment where he looked at his friend and he's like uh what do you think it is and there's this big old chunk of metal like right in his stomach yeah and he's like oh no it's fine here hey what's over that over there and then he just pulls it out without him realizing it Yeah, it's 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 not just the crash. It's it's the fact, and it's legendary that you know they deal with cannibalism and how to survive in this, and 
they have avalanches and long treks and getting lost in snowstorms, no food, no nothing, and it's just and then the repercussions of the plane crash. Like you may not die during the plane crash, but stuff that comes from it later, you know, uh, hypothermia and, and infections and bleeding to death, no oxygen. That one person just gets crushed. Um, uh, I know that's just so awful. And. Uh, based on a true story, the one thing I don't think would happen now with this movie is the fact that they cast so many Caucasians as you know South American you know people. Whereas today they would probably just cast all authentic because there's a lot of Italians and I mean Ethan Hawke is just like generic you know generic American or whatever. Um, so I think that would change now. Oh, big time for sure. And I'm, there's plenty of great actors that can do this for sure. I can even get the kid from. Um... Oh gosh! The kid from Cobra Kai, Miguel. Like, he, he oh yeah, yeah, this. yeah. And this is, uh, like I said, based on a true story, and it's really heartbreaking, but it's also triumphant because you don't know how. I mean, this the spirit cannot be broken on a couple of these people, and just how it can be infectious when everybody feels like you know giving up. And I find the career of director Frank Marshall very interesting because. Uh, his wife Kathleen Kennedy, um, they both were Steven Spielberg's guys that were running Amblin. And then uh, he got the opportunity to direct Arachnophobia. Uh, Spielberg was producing it. So you have, you have that straight up horror comedy kind of thing going and a very small kind of picture. And then you have this big epic production. And then he goes even in a different direction with his third movie, which was Congo. Um, big jungle adventure, Indiana Jones, lasers and crazy chimp costumes. And then I could not tell you a fucking thing he's done since Congo. I have no idea. Oh, uh, are we talking about Frank Marshall? Yeah, I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know Frank Marshall might still be producing. I mean, especially when it comes to like a Spielberg film. And along with Kathleen Kennedy, I mean, again, as you mentioned, they've been like, they've been like, you know, work partners forever. Yeah. And now Kathleen Kennedy's running Lucasfilm. And picked by George Lucas, no less. I'm looking right now. I want to know what Frank Marshall has done. Okay, so yeah, you're right. He is producing. He did The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Signs. Okay, so I guess he just only wanted to direct a little bit. No, he's still directing. Wow, but he's doing documentaries now. That's what it is. He hasn't directed a movie since 8 Below. That's funny. He kind of went oh, back wow. to what he was doing before with Alive. It's almost the same kind of setup. But he only ever did wow. three, uh, four movies. Four movies. Yeah, well, I mean, and why why fade away? If you've said what you wanted to say, don't take lesser projects. I see a lot of great, great directors just start phoning it in somewhere in their career, and then it just like, they oh, I thought they stopped making movies a long time ago, you know, that kind of thing. I know, I, yeah, as far as not phoning it in, I mean, look, speaking of Spielberg, God, he never phones it in with, no matter what project he's getting, yeah. he has. The, uh... <laughs> The second film I want to discuss is Groundhog Day, and I'm going to tell you right now, and there could be some pushback, I know this, I think this is his best performance, I think this is Bill Murray's best movie. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I mean, especially on an acting level, absolutely. Oh man, I, have, I mean, I've only watched tidbits here and there as a kid, you know, but then finally watching it as an adult, like, seeing all the crazy stuff, like, he would he put himself through, realizing he was repeating the same day over and over and over again. Yeah, and it's hard yeah. to make something like that interesting. And it's, it's, it's a formula now that's repeated constantly because um, 
Groundhog Day was the first, and then later that year there was another movie that no one remembers. It was uh, supposed to be in theaters, but it was sent straight to Fox. It was called 1201, where they repeat the day over and over and over because of the science experiment. But we've seen it with Edge of Tomorrow and um, Source Code, and I feel like there's a couple others in there. Christmas Every Day, I think, was a movie when I was a kid. Do you remember that one? It was on like, Fox Family or something, or maybe it was a Disney movie where Christmas repeated itself over and over. But now Groundhog Day is literally a descriptor. It's Groundhog Day with robots. You know, that kind of thing. It's You know how they do with Die Hard. Right. It's like a Die Hard book with this. Yeah, and I, I just think it's so difficult to repeat something like this like the same day 150 times in a movie and still make it interesting every time because it's the advancement of his character. Yes, there's the concept there, but it's how his character reacts to the concept. And first, he's just bewildered, and then he starts manipulating it, and then he gets kind of skeevy. He kind of hits rock bottom there for a little bit, and you're like, how do I stick with this guy? And then he starts to work his way towards... Re- no, no, that's right. He, he bottoms out because he tries killing himself uh, in various ways. And then he starts to work his way back to redemption, and I think it's just such a wonderful journey for his character. Oh, absolutely. And, of course, Andy McDowell and... Oh, God, Chris Elliott? Yeah. Being a supporting cast. And it's also a Harold Ramis movie, so it's yeah. hard not to enjoy. And it, considering the uh, chemistry that those two have together. It, the, I, that's the thing, though, is that this movie destroyed Harold Ramis' friendship with Bill Murray because he was so insanely difficult on the set. I don't know the whole story, uh, but I know that Bill Murray's the kind of guy that says he'll do a movie and they'll get funding, they'll get everything, but he won't sign a contract and they're never sure if he'll show up that day. That's got to be really fucking irritating. Yeah, no, I mean, that can't be. I mean, except for the movie, uh, Days and Confused. There's justification for that one. But this, however, yeah, no, that is pretty frustrating. And, yeah, and I think this kind of broke him a little bit. I think he he did apologize before uh, Harold Ramis passed away. And I think, think, you know, sometimes his personality can be grating on some of his cast members. I mean, I've seen stories with... uh, Charlie's Angels and stuff like that, but I think he has over the last decade or so tried to work back and had better relationships with his co-workers. Oh, absolutely, yes. And you can definitely tell. Heck, I mean, come, uh, I think at the Academy Awards, when they're announcing, uh, when they're announcing particular uh, people nominated for this category, he mentioned Harold Ramis and, you know, the year he died. Hmm. But yes, uh, there is one scene where he's like driving with the groundhog off the cliff. <laughs> just like driving right off the cliff. I'm like, oh my god, he puts everybody on this crazy chase. <laughs> Don't drive angry. Don't drive angry. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most ridiculous scene in the entire movie. And it wasn't typical. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it wasn't typical old school Bill Murray. Yeah. I, you know what's funny is I had forgotten that while Groundhog Day was still going very strong in theaters... Then another movie had come out that everybody forgot about. I can barely remember anything, but it gave him a lot of critical acclaim was Mad Dog and Glory. Have you ever seen this movie? Mad Dog and Glory. Yeah. Probably never even heard of it. It's uh, Robert De Niro is a schlub who happens to save Bill Murray's life. Bill Murray is a gangster, and he gives him one of his girls, which is Uma Thurman. And that's all I remember about it. But I remember they all of a sudden like, oh, 1993 is the year of uh, Bill Murray. He's such a great actor. And then it feels like Bill Murray backed off for a while. I don't feel like he's starred in some movies for a few years. Yeah, 
Shoot, I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, I know he has a his own little uh, golf brand uh, yeah. with his brothers. But as far as uh, like taking a break from acting after Groundhog Day, I wouldn't blame him. Yeah, it's a hell of a performance, great story, and it's it's uh, got a lot of laughs and heart without being like super sappy because he fucks up a lot and it's just a slow progression. There's none of that sweeping, I'm learning a lesson kind of thing, you know, so. Right, yeah. Oh, but what's, oh gosh, there's one guy who always gets me. Uh, was it Steve uh, Tawalowski? Bing! <laughs> exactly, yes, the insurance salesman. <laughs> I mean, to have to do that every single scene, my yeah. God, my kudos to that guy. Hell of a... <laughs> Ned <Again>. Ryerson? <laughs> Bing! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Already trying to avoid him. He runs through the puddle. He doesn't even care. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, uh, the next film I want to discuss is one of the greatest westerns I think ever made, and nobody talks about it. It has almost been completely forgotten, even though it did okay in theaters. Was Posse? Yeah, this I hadn't heard of, but I mean, I do enjoy Mario Van Peebles and what he was trying to do with this movie, especially with the statement at the end, because it makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, it's it's not the first movie to deal with you know, the main characters in a Western being African-American. There was a movie called Buck and the Preacher with um, Sidney Poitier and, oh, doggone it, he's the singer. Uh, fuck. Harry Belafonte? Thank you. How did you, you must have seen that movie. Um, no, I just love Harry Belafonte. Oh, uh, okay. The, uh, they did that <laughs> together. And then there was a couple with uh, Fred Williamson that he did during the 70s. But for the most part, it had been thrown away and forgotten. And it's a, it was a big chunk of our history, and Posse really does just say right in your face, look, history is ignoring the fact that a third of the cowboys were African-American because when slavery ended, they didn't know where to go, so they just headed west. And yet every western you watch for decades on, upon decades was all white people. At best, you would get like a you know like a hand, you know, like oh he's a cow hand or whatever, and he yes my also you know that fucking bullshit. Um, and exactly. this, and this, I mean, it does have a, a couple main characters that are white that aren't evil, uh, but eh, Stephen Baldwin's still kind of skeevy. <laughs> oh, absolutely, but I mean, he stepped up when he needed to. Yeah, sure. but also the balls to take out at who at that time was probably the most well-known actor. Yes, Mario Van Peebles had New Jack City, but he wasn't the star. Wesley Snipes was a star of that. Um, Posse. Uh, Sadly, it didn't make Mario Van Peebles' career, but Stephen Baldwin went on after this because I don't know if you've ever heard of this TV show. Um, there was one called Young Writers for three years right before this. Huh. No, I haven't heard of that. Uh, Young Writers was on ABC, and it was right after Young Guns had been such a big hit, and it was about the Pony Express. And, you know, they had Wild Bill Hickok and Buffalo Bill and stuff like that, and I believe Stephen Baldwin played uh, Cody, Buffalo Bill Cody. And it had a really strong cult following, but it was just never enough to keep going. So it only lasted three years. Absolutely phenomenal show. And he had some heat on him, so he was the guy that was casting this, you know, try to get the, I guess, try to get the young kids in, interested in Western. Right, yeah. I mean, honestly, as far as the action go, I'm like, okay, this is totally a Hollywood exploitation kind of action. Kind of cool, uh, cool in a lot of parts, don't get me wrong. And... Again, all the people that did show up, like Tom Logue, uh, Mario's father himself, uh, later on in the movie, and then, oh my god, 
gosh, who else? Well, we got Tiny Zeus Lister. Blair Underwood. Blair Underwood is fucking great in that movie. There's also um, uh, Big Daddy Kane as Father Time. I thought he was a really good actor, but as far as I know, this is the only movie that he's ever been in. Yeah, they, they have a lot of chemistry with him in that movie, and I was kind of, like, bummed that it was uh, uh, his only starring, like, you know, real role. And Mario Van Peebles is the star of this, but he kind of has the confidence to sit back and let the other guys just take up the scenery. Like, they, they get to have a lot of fun together. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That way it also, you know, develops these characters a lot better as well. And yeah. from every little scene, like... <laughs> When they're out and finding the lake and they're trying to wash themselves up, they all just like hell fuck with each other. Yeah. The oh, uh, um, we do have some classic uh, black exploitation actors from the seventies, like you said, his father. We also have uh, Pam Greer. We have um, yes. Woody Strode, Isaac Hayes. I think. Yeah, that's what I also was going to mention. Yeah, there's a lot of people coming in like to support this movie. Yeah, it uh, it got really good reviews. Um, it just. I guess just Westerns, even with, you know, uh, the Unforgiven making so much money, Westerns were still kind of not that popular. There's only been a couple hits. Um, so this one made its money back, but it was more popular in videos. In fact, there is, this company would release another Western like five years later with Mario Van Peebles called Los Locos, The Posse Rides Again. And it's not technically a sequel. It's as if his character was it was down the road like twenty years, and he was stuck with a bunch of bunch of mental patients, kind of people that were off, whatever, and they try to survive in the West. It's a lot more low key, and nowhere nearly as. I mean, you might say this movie's over directed because the camera work is constantly flowing, but it's also it kind of shows you that westerns don't have to be stiff. That's the way that we had seen Westerns forever and ever, is that they were stiff. The camera would sit very far away, and it would sit still. Oh, man. Honestly, I feel like that same like stiffness carried on into fucking Ghost Rider, the first one. Yeah. I Do you do you feel like there's a f- influence of like how they shot Batman and a lot of those comic book movies with this? Like the lighting and, and the way the camera would move? It feels like that to me. Oh, definitely. I mean, considering... Like how Batman set a standard for you know at least a blockbuster standard. Yeah. You know, you want it to have to kind of have to pop out at you. Yeah, this is uh, the next film that Mario Van Peebles did was about the Black Panthers and how the FBI basically destroyed them with uh, drugs and guns, and uh, it barely got released, and he never directed another studio film ever again. And I think it's really a shame. No, because he was a really good director. I mean, I know he directed some episodes uh, for TV shows. I know one of them was the show Once Upon a Time. Uh, I think it was a there was one particular. It was a particular character centric episode with. Um, oh gosh, why am I blanking on his name? He was in Train Spotting. Ewan McGregor. Yeah, not Ewan McGregor. Uh, oh god, the, the very angry one. Got me. I haven't seen Train Spotting in forever. Robert Carlyle? Yes, I think it's Robert Carlyle. Okay. Yeah, they even like posted a photo of them together and like you know working with the great Mario Van Peebles. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, I'm sure he still has has some directing credits. Uh, oh no, his his filmography is filled to the brim with movies that either they barely got released or they went straight to video or straight to cable because he's done like twelve other movies. 
um, since then, but it was it, it none of have really been backed by a big studio, so it's just it's kind of a bummer. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. But um, one of the biggest biggest bombs in history, at least based on expectations, um, and I still think is one of the greatest crimes in history to release it the week after Jurassic Park. You all knew. But they had the balls to think they could knock out Jurassic Park, and that's last action hero. Oh, God, yeah, no, that's bad timing. Uh, honestly, this to me was like, uh, uh, honestly, I absolutely enjoyed it. I saw it a lot when I was a kid on HBO. And, you know, being a Schwarzenegger fan, I had to go see it. Thanks. <laughs> <coughs> Again, having to rewatch it again, uh, I think it still holds up really well. I actually admire it more, considering like the change of the whole action hero genre. You know, especially when you know Arnold Schwarzenegger's character comes out into the real world. Yeah, the fantasy aspect of this movie I liked as well. You know, little kid gets a magic ticket, goes into the movie, brings you know brings the main action hero out into the uh, real world, and he actually starts to get grounded yeah instead of, instead of that like you know plot armor alpha action hero can never lose and feelings he actually gets feelings after talking with his mom Mercedes uh, rule <laughs> oh he discovers classical music because <laughs> <laughs> all he had was like rock and roll and stuff yeah well I, I when I when this came out I really really wanted to see it but the rest of my family didn't and we went to movies as a family instead of splitting off in different directions and they all wanted to see the firm and I will never let this go because The Firm is so fucking boring. And it was such a huge hit. And to this day, I'm confused as to why. I just don't understand why The Firm made like $150 million And Last Action Hero only made 50 <laughs> I've seen Last Action Hero like 90 times. I, I love Last Action Hero. And I remember the complaints about it. I think Austin O'Brien is fine. I think I, that's how I would react if I was in an action movie and I was that age. Um, they say, oh, Absolutely. it's such a stupid movie. Well, he's supposed to be in a stupid movie. That's the point. And then when he comes into our world, everything changes. The only thing I can kind of see is there's so much action in the first half of the movie when they're in his world. And then yes. it slows down dramatically in the second half. And I think a lot of people were let down. But that's when the characters develop and there's real world consequences. And they show you, like, there's not nonstop action, you know, in real life. And you can't just jump on cars without getting hurt and all this stuff. And I just think you spend so much quality time with all of them. I love the plot twist. I love that it's commentary on action movies and spoofing the whole thing but also spoofing hollywood pop you know like the whole business of that movie premiere and stuff like that i i fucking adore this movie oh absolutely same here mm. and heck yeah also again the comedic relief where it's like uh his superior officer how <laughs> he finally yells at him at the end oh no the, the funeral scene though with the you know, when they were trying to use uh, Jimmy the Fart or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And they put a bomb in his body. <laughs> oh my god, this man is not dead. <laughs> and he went back. <laughs> I love. There's so many MVPs in this too. Frank McRae, uh, he was his superior officer, the one's always Slater! 
you know, uh, he's oh, like yeah. an MVP. If you, the the it, coming out of his ears. Yeah, <laughs> if you look at, at his filmography, it is like just fucking gold. And Robert Prosky is the guy who's running the movie theater with the golden ticket. Again, filmography filled with amazing performances and just so many like ringers that can just sell this movie. And I just can't believe it died such an awful death. Exactly, yeah. No, oh, God. Charles Dance, though, as uh, the main vil- one of the main villains, and Tom Noonan. Oh, God, yes. Oh, they Tom Noonan fucking steals this almost. I mean, yeah, Charles Dance is great, but Tom Noonan is fucking disturbing. Oh, God, yes. I mean, just by looking at his face. Yeah. And he really like, goes into that character. He does. And, oh, and yeah. if, if you don't know who Tom Noonan is, uh, I think probably his most famous stuff is usually him in makeup. Uh, Frankenstein's monster in uh, Monster Squad, and then Manhunter as the Tooth Fairy, I think was the character. Yes, and of course there was Robocop too. Oh, like, yes, he... thank you. And uh, I think he's in Heat. He's the guy who hooks him up with uh, the, the map to the bank or something like that. But he's just one of those character actors. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, and... Also, the people, all the cameos in this movie, God, everybody was there. MC Hammer, Damon Wayans, oh God, Chevy Chase, Jim Belushi. Van Damme. Yes, oh, oh yeah, and then Ian McKellen playing Death, that was a bit of a Oh surprise. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, oh, oh, Mercedes Rule, come on, there's another MVP right there. Mercedes Rule always shows up to win, you know, I, she never phones in a performance. Sadly, she was only like a major actress for a very short period of time. She did win Academy Awards, so hey, you know, she has made her mark. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, Robert Patrick showing up at the T-1000, like, oh my god. <laughs> I swear, especially after the success of Terminator 2, Yeah. I feel like him making an appearance like was just that kind of crowd moment where everybody screams and shouts and celebrates. I love it when he argues that uh, the cat that's voiced by Danny DeVito, he's like, he's a cartoon! I know, and he's one of the best people on this force! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I don't know where oh, I got no, that Walter Matthau voice from. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Who was, I was trying to think. Oh, yeah. Rick Dukeman, like, as uh, Tom Noonan's agent. Oh, yeah. Like, he didn't play himself. I'm like, oh, dang. I'm like, no, not Dukeman. You can't kill him. <laughs> well, he gets killed in Last Boy Scout pretty viciously, too. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Oh, God. And then there's a lot of good stuff. People well, like Dukeman's also in Groundhog Day. Yeah. Al Leong. Oh, yeah. Al Leong and Henry Kingy. Yeah, yeah. If it's if it's there's a period of time where it's not a worthy action film if Al Young isn't there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Are we ready for our fifth and final film? Oh yes. Uh, growing up with this and loving Mel Brooks movies. Oh gosh, yes. Robin Hood, Men in Tights. It's hard not to quote. Yeah, it's. I'm not gonna say that every joke hits. I. I there are some groaners in here, but I remember. Seeing this in the theater with uh, my youth pastors, my sister, and a couple of her friends, and everybody hated this movie. They all hated it. And I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, and Mel Brooks, he he swings big. He doesn't have the success rate of the Zucker brothers. Well, I'll say this, eventually the Zucker brothers would start missing too, especially with basketball. There's a lot of groaners in that one too. But... Um, I just, I think that, like, he just, he has kind of an old vaudevillian sense of humor, and I just think that maybe some people don't get that rhythm, and it's, it's kind of in your face and obvious, but there's a joy in that, 
But also there's a lot of really good, like, of that moment, really hard-hitting jokes that just fucking work. Especially since... I think it makes it easier because it's already the road has already been mapped out for him because it's just based on all the famous Robin Hoods and they're just mushing them together. And then that gives you time, instead of focusing so much on the plot, that you're able to dig into the jokes, which is what he did so well with Young Frankenstein. And I, I would argue not very successfully with Dracula Dead and Loving It, but you like that movie. I, I'm not the hugest fan. I know, well, growing up with Leslie Nielsen and, of course, Nicky Gunn and Mel Brooks, uh, again, I still enjoy it to this day. I got it for um, you, by the way. It's in the account. Oh, yeah, no, I saw it. I actually ended up getting it on Blu-ray not too long ago. But oh, okay. It come with a digital copy. But, um, yes, again, watching this movie, I couldn't help but, like, all the little supporting actors. Carrie Elwes definitely carries I mean, Fucking steals it, doesn't he? He, fuck, he carries this movie so hard, and I'm just like, oh, I love it. I love it. He has is having so much fun. So is Amy Yazbek. Oh, yes, Absolutely. Oh no, there's the way she talks, like the way she pronounces some words. If only it were true, which would be terrific. <laughs> the only one that I don't think works, and I think she's a very funny person, but for some reason the jokes just don't hit, is Tracy Almonds. I just think hers are a little too obvious and easy, and I, I don't know why, I just kind of got bummed out by it. Oh man. <laughs> oh, honestly, the part where she, she's trying to get with Sheriff Nottingham, how she looks at the camera. It says, I was that close. I touched it. She was about to crack right then and there. <laughs> so thankfully they cut right away because she was about to burst. The, the one yeah, surprise oh. in this is Roger Reese, who nobody really knows who they are, who he is, unless you watch Cheers. Uh, he played a uh, Robin Maxwell, I think, on there, who was the love interest of uh, Kirstie Alley. And he just comes in this as a sheriff of Rottingham, and he fucking, he nails it. He's pretty damn good. Oh god, yes. No, him and Carrie Ellis easily make this movie. <laughs> and uh, uh, the way he just like keeps talking, <laughs> you know, saying things out of order. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but that boy has like almost like it's Shakespearean, or he's like Yoda. <laughs> especially like when he kisses uh, especially when Robin Hood kisses uh, Maid Marian's hand at the big dinner, and he starts sh- shouting, <laughs> "Kill illegal forest, two pig wild." This is where we get introduced to Dave Chappelle as Achu. Um, I think he's okay, uh, but also he was, he had no acting skills before this. I think he does fine with what you know, no classes uh, or training of any kind. No, yes, of course, and yet I feel like this is where he really just started, you know catapulting from there yeah um mark blankfield as blinken uh, <laughs> i quote i quote him all the time <laughs> hey blinken here no hey blinken <laughs> i thought i found a draft <laughs> oh when he's to look up blinken what are you doing up there guessing oh guessing no one's coming <laughs> mark blankfield <laughs> was supposed to be a big deal. He was on an SNL uh, kind of a copycat called Fridays. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of that one, right? Yes, I uh, have. 
And he was the breakout star. All the famous people you know from Fridays didn't become famous till years later, like Larry David and Michael Richards and stuff like that. Uh, Mark Blankfield is the one that everybody saw. That they gave him movies. Paramount got him a couple movies. They just they flopped. He was in a sequel to The Jerk, which didn't you know it didn't go anywhere. And then um, uh, Mel Blanc, Mel Blanc, Mel. <laughs> oh, I just I hate when I get frozen on words. Mel Brooks uh, took a liking to him and cast him in this, and this kind of is the last time I saw him. But I think he's very funny in this. Oh God, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think that no, that one scene where he's like he falls from the little uh, from his little lookout post. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then he gets back up. He's like, oh, I can see. It's <laughs> the tree. Oh, no, can't. Never mind. <laughs> um, Little John, played by Eric Allen Kramer, who was the very first Thor, live-action Thor kids in the Incredible Hawk TV movies. I think he's really funny as Little John, but I think his friend, who plays Will Scarlett O'Hara, is fucking atrocious. Ugh. Oh, yeah? I think he's fucking awful. Well, yeah, no, he doesn't really speak or do much. I know, but like the few the few lines that he has is awful. But I also remember the god awful Robin Hood TV show he had on TNT for a few years. Do you remember this? No. Oh, when, okay. So you know, remember when uh, uh, Hercules: The Legendary Journeys was such a massive hit? They started making all sorts of shows just like it. Like there was a Sinbad TV show, there's Tarzan, Conan, and then TNT did the New Adventures of Robin Hood, which is supposed to be kind of cheeky and fun. And he played Robin Hood, and it's fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah, so I think I have a little bit of uh, spite for him on that one. But I'll have to look it up on YouTube, maybe. Maybe I'll find a clip. Yeah, the first episode is good because they have really they spend a lot of money on martial arts, but after that, it derails. It was on for like two or three years. Damn. There's a lot of those Hercules ripoffs, but the only one anybody ever remembers of being any damn good was Xena, which wasn't a ripoff; it was a spinoff, is what I should say. Oh god, yes, and Xena was a huge success. And yeah. wasn't that Sam Raimi show as well? So, well, Sam Raimi; those are Sam Raimi shows. Hercules and Xena were Sam Raimi shows. Oh yeah, Xena I found to be far superior. It's a yes. redemption story. Yeah, the. Uh, uh, there is one major music sequence in this, and there is a, a moment where they play kind of, yes, whatever that doesn't play very well today, but it's still a pretty fucking funny song. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Just the whole musical dance number. You can never ex- you can never not expect one in a Mel Brooks movie. Yeah. I said, hey, 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 Oh, yeah, like the little, uh, what do they call those in theater? Like people who, like, Tell you the story. Oh, bards? Yeah, isn't that what they call them? Yeah, bards. Yes, that's what they were. They were the bards. And also, oh gosh, Mel Brooks's like little part as Rabbi Tuckman. (laughs) His first line when he comes in, I don't like the way you're walking. You've been in the sacramental line again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I just remember like. I don't know if it was because uh, the expectations were raised so high because we just spent like two years with, you know, Hot Shots and the Naked Gun movies and they were all just fucking hitting it on the head with just, you know, the percentage rate of successful jokes in those movies are, are, are insane. It's so high. And then like this, it just didn't work. But I feel like 93 was the last year really of spoof movies where they were successful. This made its money back in Hot Shots Part 2 while not as successful as the first one. 
made its money back. But then after that, it's just like Fatal Instinct. Ugh. You know, the, the, the third Naked Gun didn't do very well. And it just kept getting worse from there. And then we didn't get a reprieve until, what, Scary Movie? I think it was the first successful spoof movie in years. Yes, Scary Movie. And you have to give credit to the Wayans Brothers. Yeah. They saved the genre. The only problem is they hired two guys named Neighbors and Feinberg that would go on to do the rest of those kind of movies that weren't scary. They were like yeah. Date Movie and Meet the Spartans and Fast or whatever. Super Fast. Oh, God, gosh, damn yeah. It. yeah. A lot of dumb, shitty spook movies. But, however, I feel like the first one and the second one, they hardly contributed anything, yet they were still able to get like writing credits. Yeah. They, that could so, be. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, I just feel like I feel like the last great spoof movie maybe was Wet Hot American Summer. Eh? That was a long time ago. Yeah. I, mean, I kind of like superhero movie though, so I'll count that. Yeah, but spoof movies all of a sudden instead of like one every couple years, we started getting like two or three a year, and I think the jokes just weren't there to keep it going, um, and then the, the genre just died off for a while. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess there wasn't really anything too clever about it. It was all just, like, kind of the same BS, especially, as you mentioned, like, those two writers from the scary movies. Yeah, no, it just became became way too repetitive. Yeah, it's just there's nothing new to say. And, and also, those guys would not write based around one major plot. They were just like, what movies are coming out or what movies are hot right now? And then just, like, take pieces and, like, band-aid the movies together. And that's not a movie. That's a fucking... That's all the MTV Movie Awards sketches put together. That's what that is. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. That's why some stuff just wasn't funny. Yeah. Okay, well, that is it for this episode. We'll be back as soon as we can with five more. We got... Uh, where's our list? Cool Runnings, Three Musketeers, Grumpy Old Men, Cliffhanger, and Rudy. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. <laughs> which is which shot not far from me. Say. What's that? Uh, one piece of advice I will say. Uh, if you're going to watch the movie alive, don't have anything like rare roast beef or rare steak or media, <laughs> you know, because, well, I mean, I, if you don't have the stomach to, you know, still eat that and watch horror movies, anyway. <laughs> yeah, we, well, as I say, if you watch horror movies, you're not going to be bothered anyway whatsoever. <laughs> oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's uh, hopefully, let's hope Jacob gets better quickly. And uh, kids, stay safe. Get your vaccines. I'm not going to argue with you about this. Just whatever. Bye. Wash your damn hands and sanitize. Yeah. (laughs) All right, everybody. Goodbye.